Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. Drew Jordan, thanks for coming and joining again. We, have, we had a blast. Season four has been on fire. I'd say some of the best some of the best podcasts that we've had, each comic kind of bringing something special and different. Um, and so if you haven't dug into the catalog, I got to really suggest that you go back and snag those, those previous episodes. They're all the way back to season one uh, is everywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can just go to breakingdownbits.com. And that's an easy way to navigate all of our content that we have created. And hopefully if you're an aspiring comedian or just trying to get better, looking for tips from professionals, uh, there's something there for you. Each comic kind of brings something, like I said, kind of special and unique. And that's, what's been so cool about these last few is we've dug into kind of each person's kind of specialty and kind of what they thrive at. Uh, so it's been great. So get back in there, breakingdownbits.com. Absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. Breakingdownbits.com is where you can find all that. You can also do some fun stuff with us on social media at Breaking Down Bits, uh, except Twitter at Breaking Down Bit One Bit. Uh, but you, as you were talking about our whole catalog, uh, op- absolutely a good time to get back and do our callback with our episode with Liz Mealy. What'd you have, Drew? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think obviously one of the the best moments in the whole podcast was her breaking down her process for writing, which is very, I'd say complicated uh, in some, in some regards and very tedious, but also probably the reason that she is as good as she is talking about, I mean, at one point, um, I think we lost Brian there. Maybe he'll hop back in Uh, at one point talking about how she, you know, writes something, takes it to stage and then, would um, transcribe that down, edit it, take that new version back to stage, listen, transcribe it, edit it, bring it back to stage. Uh, man, just that sounds really tedious, but it's got to help when you're just that, um, I don't know, I guess that's specific when it comes to your wording and, and, and the way that you write. You just really get it down to a, a nitty gritty science when you just dissect it like that. So Something really interesting. I thought I thought it was a cool idea to not just listen. Like it's it's enough work just to listen to your own sets and critique them. But this, she takes it to the next level, and I thought, wow, that's. Uh, and I think I want to try that a little bit. You know, like take it and transcribe exactly what actually came out of my mouth, not what I thought came out of my mouth, not what I wanted to come out of my mouth, but what literally came out of my mouth on stage. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. If you feel if you wanted to feel guilty about not just even listening to your sets, <laughs> listen to what Liz Mealy does. And it'll make you do it, damn it. Because uh, I, I do that, right? I record my sets. And then what is it good for if you don't even fucking listen yeah. to it? So, uh, but yeah, transcribing it is a great strategy and a great idea. Um, we should probably all do it. Even if it's just a couple times, I think you'd, you'd find a lot of benefit in it. Uh, for me, it was really simple. She talked about the idea that she says yes to everything. And and people have changed their viewpoints on this in the pe- post-pandemic, or I guess, we're st- I can't say post-pandemic, or in Texas. Fuck it. It's over. Uh, <laughs> we solved it a long time ago. Yeah, right? we, so- we solved it a year ago. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are also doing. But anyway, uh, people have s- they've decided, you know, maybe I won't say yes to all the gigs. And she says, ah, you know what, while, while you're still kind of ascending in your career, and almost everybody listening to this podcast, I'm sure assuredly is, uh, say yes to all the things you never know what relationship you're going to get. Uh, you never know who's going to meet you. Uh, and, and she talks about having something that she did with the, um, dyslexia, uh, group that she's found, she did five years ago that people contact her said like every week she finds a new fan or a new opportunity from that. So you just never know where it's, it's going to come from. So yeah. go check out. That was a dense, dense episode. She is awesome. Uh, and I, I just, I loved it so much. Go check out the episode with Liz Million. Of course, like you said, all of our episodes, um, we should probably Drew do a real quick shout out to our feedback mic. Yeah. Every Tuesday night, like clockwork, dude, uh, 9 PM Eastern. We got a full mic tonight, but all you have to do is email into breaking down bits at gmail.com or get to us on social media. We'll get you a spot. It's every Tuesday night, five minute sets, three minutes of feedback with comics from all over the world. So productive 
come come try it sometime. Yeah, even if you're not into Zoom stuff, promise it is super helpful. Uh, a lot of people give great feedback. You'll get a tag. You'll get a a question to ask. Um, you know, which is another thing Liz got into asking why I felt this way after she like wrote a premise. You know, and uh, and sometimes the other comics can like uh, push you and uh, and kind of challenge you to take a joke to the next level that maybe you just kind of were blind to, and it makes a joke happen. Absolutely. All right, man. Let's go get our guests from the green room. Andy Woodhull has appeared on The Late Late Show with James Corden, Conan, Live at Gotham, and The Half Hour on Comedy Central. In 2014, he was the first comedian to make his network television debut on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. His dry bar comedy special on YouTube has over 7 million views, and all five of his comedy albums are in rotation on Sirius Satellite Radio, and his jokes have been played over 37 million times on Pandora. Wow, Andy Woodhull, how are you, man? Hey, look at me. I look different. I'm good. How how are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, doing good. Thanks for doing it, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, some uh, interesting, I saw, you know, like you mentioned in your bio there, something Liz also uh, benefited from is the Sirius XM connection and something that uh, Jasmine Ellis mentioned, having her stuff on Spotify. And now those tracks mm-hmm. can get playlisted and dropped in. So like, and Pandora. So like, it's a, uh, there's, there's a lot of benefit in the, in the, in that radio and that, uh, that I guess, ditch stream world for comedians to get to get heard and and for people to become fans of you yeah more people come to live shows because of pandora than anything else i've done i think wow it's weird and pandora for uh comics has tons of free tools that you can use there's i don't know how much you guys know about it but there's this thing called pandora amp and you get on there and then you can make uh, ads for free on your Pandora channel. So anyone that follows my Pandora channel gets ads from me, like hyping tracks. And then also you could say, hey, I'm going to be at uh, Wise Guys in Salt Lake City next weekend, which I am. And then you can direct, uh, uh, I don't know what it's called, but you, it, you the ad only plays in, in Salt Lake City. And it's all free stuff that Pandora offers you. And then there's also this thing called Next Big Sound that tracks all your Pandora performance. And you can watch and see where in the country people are listening to you. There's tons of really cool stuff on there, and it's all free. Wow. And did you... I don't work for Pandora. It's just beneficial <laughs> this for comedians. Is not and a lot fun. of people don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I I hate to just jump into to the questions right off the bat, but I was, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. How soon should a comic, you know put content on something like a streaming site, you know, where me and Brian are actually just a, a couple years in, you know, uh-huh. we have material that works in front of a live audience, but we're all, I mean, I think as a younger comic, as you start to get, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes of material mm-hmm. that works, you're kind of like, I don't know if I really want, if I want to put this anywhere, what any, any advice on newer comics when you should put something <laughs> out publicly like that? Yeah, I don't know. Probably whenever you feel like you're ready, just wait another year and then do it. But <laughs> there, like the very first one I ever did was uh, I did it on my own, and it's on stuff now. I don't even know how it got online. My first album is called Sounds from the Rainforest, and it was just I was touring as a feature act, and you got to sell something so you don't yeah. die you know, of being broke. So I had made this CD and now it's on uh, streaming services. I don't even totally know how it got on them because they didn't exist when it was made and I didn't ask for it to be on there, but I don't mind getting those monthly royalty checks for them old jokes. Uh, but w- one thing you look, look back at old material and uh, you'll feel like I can't believe I did, I'm so much better now than I was then, but also put it in the world and have it working for you. Sometimes I got to think of it like, what would I want if I was just a fan of someone? I would like, if I met you guys and like, Oh man, I love them. Wouldn't it be great if I could hear what they did, what they sounded like when they were first starting, I would go back and listen to everything. I, I mean, I do it with, I like to read and I find a, I read a book I like, then I go read all their old books. So in, on some level, I see like, oh, I don't want to put out something and then be ashamed of it later. But it's 
I, I don't I don't know that people are going to judge you on an in-depth search on the internet for your worst joke. I think they'll judge you on what they heard and then maybe go back and listen to your old stuff. That's a smart perspective. Like the same with music. Like you find a band when they've already kind yeah. of ascended and you're like, let me go back and listen to their old stuff. And you know, you're going to check out their whole catalog. Mm-hmm. Same with comedy. Um, and then also that, you know, that serious accent that you're, you know, you're getting paid for that, right? We're not paying you shit, but they're paying you right now. So it's good. <laughs> you're, you're, you are making money. Uh, right. Yeah. Those checks. I mean, I think, I think every comic feels like this. Every time those checks come, it feels like you hit the lottery. I mean, on a small scale, but you're always like, Oh man, I'm still, you giving me money for that. I'm done with that. So that's another way. Like when you finish jokes, if you think they're good and you're ready to move on and do other jokes, that's when I would say you got to put them on something and get them on the internet so that they can continue working for you. Yeah, that's great. Well, tell us about your uh, your journey in comedy. Maybe about some of your <laughs> early early beginnings, where it all started, and then maybe focus as you go through it some of the breaks that you've had along the way. All right. Well, I, I started in St. Louis, Missouri, at open mic night, and uh, uh, er, early on, um, I mean, I, I would just enter every festival and every contest and stuff like that, and then I got to do some of those. Uh, I think the first one I ever did was called the Las Vegas Comedy Festival. It was in 2004. It was kind of set up like a contest and they went to different cities and then took winners from different cities to go to Las I didn't win, but I had a lot of fun <laughs> uh, doing it. And it also kind of validated like, oh, people that know uh, comedy think that you're good. So it was in- encouraging early on because I had only been doing it for about a year at that point. And then I moved to Chicago to try to uh, get on stage more. And I had a day job and I also was just doing stand up as much as I could, just as much as I could, I would do stand up and I went to work during the day and I would take road gigs, do the gig and then drive back work. Like I would, I would drive, I would work all day, drive to a gig. If it was, I don't know, six hours or less, then drive back sleep in the parking lot at work, work another day, and then go back to do the Friday, you know? And I did that for, for years. I did that That's for years until right there. <laughs> I was so burnt out that I felt like I'm not getting good at comedy or at my job. And I'm just going to plateau at this level because of the exhaustion that I'm going through. And that was in like 2009, I think. And around the same time, this just happened uh, out of luck. I had already decided I was quitting my job. And the candy bar that everyone loves, Butterfinger, was having this uh, national comedy competition (laughs) where you write jokes about Butterfinger candy bars. And I had entered that and I ended up being in the finals (laughs) of that. And then uh, I went to L.A. for the finals of that, which was a live show at the Laugh Factory. And uh, I won that. And I when you win, you got like a meeting with the manager. You got a comedy mentor and you got a spot at uh montreal those are the big also i got a t-shirt and a trophy cool cool (laughs) and uh i still have the t-shirt and i don't have any of the other things anymore (laughs) Uh, but that that was enough because that happened like right as i was leaving my job so it was another like oh you're doing the right thing people like you this is encouraging and i had put up that first album right at the same time because i knew if i wasn't working at my day job i, I wouldn't be making up enough money to live what was the joke do you remember what the, the joke that got you the um or, well it was different it was like uh it was i think it was a poop joke <laughs> i think it was a poop inspired joke i can't remember the exact because people would uh, just videotape themselves with a camera and no audience and enter this butterfinger contest but I was doing sets all the time. So I thought I'll write a bunch of jokes about Butterfinger, perform on stage, and then I'll put that as my thing. And it, it worked because, I mean, whoever was on their voting thing, I, I got it. And then at the finals, you didn't have to, they didn't want you to do Butterfinger stuff. They just wanted you to do your comedy, your stand up. So I just did my stand up. So everyone else who was just 
one-off writing Butterfinger jokes gets there to perform. <laughs> they're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, who knows how they did it? Because the people that were in the finals did also do stand-up. You know, everybody could do it. it was, there wasn't any. I mean, if they did it now, it would be different. I doubt. I wonder if any comedians would make it now because people are good at getting people to like stuff. It, when that's how it was. The first round to get to the finals was people had to like Oh, like yeah. you on the Butterfinger webpage. Huh. Yeah, that's a racket sometimes. Uh, oh, I also got a year's supply of Butterfingers. I, I knew it was 365 coming. Butterfinger. Yeah. <laughs> One a day. How long did it One last? A day. <laughs> it lasts, I didn't even eat them, and it was in the form of a coupon. And uh, the coupons were kind of bullshit because they didn't include tax. So you get a coupon and then still have to pay tax to get the Butterfinger so I, I didn't honestly, I don't even like Butterfingers that much. <laughs> I don't think so it was tough to be the face of the brand, but I did it. <laughs> and I would get, I would use them to try to sell my CD after the show. I would say, I have, if you buy my CD, you can have a free Butterfinger. <laughs> so I moved a lot of merch that way. I, I sold probably about 365 CDs because <laughs> people were willing to pay for a candy bar. You sold 365 Butterfingers that happen to have a bonus CD. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Man, I, I mean, I don't know what next is just like constant. Uh, I I was just on the road as much as I could. I, I felt like uh, I lived in Chicago, and then I I was probably doing like 47 or 48 weekends out of the year. Um, and stand up, and I just kept doing that until I don't know last year. <laughs> yeah, and break. that's mostly that's mostly the story. Yeah, I took a break last year. I don't know why. I just <laughs> was like, I'm burnt out. I think I stay <laughs> home for a whole year. <laughs> but uh, I mean, as far as like breaks and stuff, was uh, I mean, the Tonight Show was the first thing I did, and uh, I wasn't in Chicago anymore at that time. I had moved to LA uh, to try to like. I don't know, for the same reason everyone moves to L.A. I was doing so much stand-up on the road, but I didn't feel like I was building a following or anything. And so I thought well, I'd try to go to L.A. and see what could happen there. And I tried to write some scripts, try to get jobs. And then I ended up getting married and moving to North Carolina. And then I had written all these jokes about um, uh, being a step-parent, which were the first things that I felt uh, – well, not that I felt. I felt everything I had written was good. But when I had these step-parent jokes, it was the first time I got uh, the, the Tonight Show set. You know, I had sent in lots of sets to try to get on late-night TV, but it wasn't until I had the stepdad stuff, which I think maybe was just a little different that they hadn't seen before. And then it was just luck, I guess, that I got to do it. And Yeah, and then every other TV thing I did since then was just sending in material they say this joke's good this joke sucks and then you keep sending it in it's no well at least for me there was never like we love you just let us know when you're ready to do another one every set i did on tv was uh notes they gave a lot of notes and then <laughs> yeah. came back and the half hour there was a more in-depth story to when i did the comedy central half hour i've i've been submitting every year and uh, but I, I was living in Chicago. I was living in North Carolina. And then uh, what year did I do it? 2015, I think maybe it was 2014. They asked me to come do warm up for the whole season because they, uh, they, you know, I had kind of known them from doing live at Gotham. But that they didn't know me the year I did it. And I think this is true of most years. I was the only comic that didn't live in New York or L.A. the year I did it. So the year before, they were like, we like your uh, set, but nobody knows who you are. Would you please come host all these so we can, you know, see you in person? And then I got to do it the next year. So nice. so doing all the things that you have to do as a comic, which, of course, you talked about touring yourself to death and, you know, selling merch to stay alive and just getting yeah. your, getting the reps, getting the material. But what I'm really what I really like about what you're sharing is the submissions. So I, I think it's a it's an important mm -hmm. thing that not enough comics are doing who, who are at a level where they've got their 
their hour. You know, they I got a few comics. We're in Houston, Texas. There's a few comics who have their hour. Okay. But, uh-huh. how, but then the question for them is how much are you submitting? So maybe to help the comic at that level, uh, what are, what are these submissions? How, how do you, where do you find them? Uh, how often, how often are you, are you doing submissions to, to all the things that we've talked about so far, whether it's festivals, late night, uh, mm-hmm. everything that you've applied for, it seems to be a big part of your strategy of growth. Well, festivals are, uh, I mean, you find them all online and they all have different, uh, they all have different ways to submit, you know, at a, at a certain point they ask you, I'm not, I'm not there yet still, <laughs> but uh, every festival has a different, and you just have to look at it, see what they want, and then send that to them. As far as late night TV sets goes, it's uh, you know, they want four and a half minutes. They want a four and a half minute set, so you send them six, and then whoever's booking the show. I mean, they have, different people do it different ways, but the the way it's worked for me is usually I send like seven to ten minutes, and they're like, these are the jokes I like maybe you can make these into a set and then you send it back and they're like, well, this was these, this three minutes works. This one minute doesn't. And the people that have booked me on shows have been very generous with their time to help get the sets to where they thought would be good for uh, whatever show it was. I was trying to get on. Yeah. Was that first connection to late night through like a manager or are you just cold? Yeah. The first out? one was, uh, the first one was through a manager. It, yeah, they they helped me get that first one, and then uh, I had met people, and then I I guess uh, by the time well, I still had an agent when I did Conan, but I was emailing back and forth with the guy myself, and then uh, the late late show when I did James Corden, it, I was able to do it because the guy that booked me at Fallon left his job and took a job at James Corden, so. Even though I've never done one show twice, I got booked by the same person twice, but it was for different shows. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they I, they have different things they look for, and they, as far as late night sets go, I know a lot of people like to uh, also a lot of people. There's like four people that do it, but they like to watch live shows too. Right. Yeah. So yeah, some sure. people get booked because there's the showcase. We're looking for people. Yeah, we got some friends in New York that say like, yeah, these late night bookers will show up at some some of the sets around town. Just kind of, I guess, just there's certain comics that got their eye on. And so they want to mm-hmm. pop in. That, I guess that's why it's so advantageous to be in L.A. or New York, because that's where yeah. the bookers are. Yeah, they're out there. Yeah, they're not. They didn't come to North Carolina to check you out. <laughs> no, they didn't come to North Carolina. But I surprisingly got a lot of TV credits when I was living in North Carolina. Yeah, is there is were they filming in North Carolina or Georgia or like what, what was going? How'd you get those those gigs? No, those are all the ones. That, I mean, uh, the Tonight Show, Conan, Comedy Central Half Hour, and James Corden all happened while I was living in North Carolina, and I flew. Oh yeah, and and you know I flew out and did those shows. Oh nice. And where where are you presently? I'm in Santa Monica. Now I live in L.A. Two, three years ago, I got divorced and then I moved to Chicago and then I got a job writing on a show for sci-fi called The Movie Show in L.A. And I moved here right before the pandemic. Nice. January 2020. Nice. Is that what's uh, what's what's the future hold? Is there anything in production or anything in the works right now? That we can afford to do? Well, no, <laughs> I think you could probably still find all the episodes in the movie show, but the, I don't believe there's going to be a season two. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, I, I feel like it's such a hard Maybe reset. Happen. Who knows? I feel like there was just such a hard reset during the pandemic that so many things. <laughs> probably lost funding and just lost momentum and it's just like a big reset for so so many brands so many things yeah yeah i think for that show that i was on i think the momentum was a big like because everybody was excited about it it was coming out uh we had advertising and stuff and then you know things just change but it, i think the show is really funny if you can find it the movie show one yeah. of the funniest shows to ever be on tv <laughs> is it <laughs> quote is uh yeah. is that something you could just produce by yourself you think and just take it take it solo uh well first of all i was just a writer on the show My, a friend of mine with another guy they created the show so it would be their thing they to make it. more of it uh and i don't know maybe the, actually i don't think they can because i think sci-fi owns the rights that's like a business question that i don't know how to answer you could make the film program yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something like and that take it forward 
<laughs> it's a fun show. It was a it was kind of a sketch show hosted by puppets, but made to look like a uh, public access talk show. Yeah. It's very fun. It's very silly. I, I love that stuff. Like uh, Chris Gethard's one of my one of my favorites, and I know you know he started with the basically got a access to a public access a cable at whatever studio oh, yeah. started doing shows and it kind of <laughs> became a thing after a while. <laughs> That's very cool. It's a vibe. Probably a, a good opportunity to transition into writing. And uh, we do this very open-ended. The The question is, how does Andy Woodhull write comedy? <laughs> well, it has evolved over the years, but what I do now is I write in a notebook I usually just write in bullet points and then I take those bullet points to the stage. I have the thing that I think is funny and then there'll just be beats after it. And then I listen to them. Uh, I was listening to what you guys were saying before, before I started on and someone was uh, transcribing yeah, everything, which I, I think that would be a good uh, tool to remember your set. If you were having a hard time listening uh, remembering everything I, I find listening to helps a lot. And then when you have it all away, you like, then I start to have like at five minutes in, that's when I drop new jokes. Cause I know I can get right back into all the good stuff. And then when you have a, a like a solid hour, it's easy to build new material cause it can grow inside of it naturally. Um, but yeah, I just write in a notebook. I got it right here. Composition notebook. 99 cents at Walgreens <laughs> and wow. I do bullet points. What about uh, like to, editing yeah. when it comes to like editing your jokes? Uh, are you someone that does some uh, collaborative joke writing or do you, do you, do you sit down with anyone, run your jokes past other comics or friends to try to like workshop those or is it all, is it pretty solo act for you? Um, I love writing with other comics. I don't have any, well, I have some friends that I would run a joke by if I'm wondering about it, but there, there's been times in my life where I had like a writing group that I always got together with, which is very beneficial, especially when you're first starting out, like a writing group is the best thing you can do if you're just starting, I think. Uh, and now I just, uh, yeah, I'll run jokes by friends. Some of my friends get together with our notebooks and we go over, but it's not like a set. And as far as editing my own stuff, I've been doing it for 18 years now. So I have kind of a sense of this isn't working. I'm wrong. It's not funny. And it's never going to become funny. But more often than not, my sense is pretty good when I have an idea like this. I think this will work on stage and I can take it. And then, and then my jokes usually start with one funny line and then grow from riffing or I'll sit back in at the desk with the notebook and write new lines. And I, I love to sit in the back of the room when friends are on stage and, uh, you know, tag each other's bits after the show. That's very beneficial. And that's what I do when I listen to myself is I'll listen to myself and then tag my own jokes in, in real time while I'm listening back to sets, which I'm doing so much now because of the pandemic and not doing stand up for a year and a half. And my newest album came out like in the pandemic, but it was recorded in November before it happened. So I was ready to like dump an hour. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of coming out of it with uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, not nothing. I have my old jokes still, but I've, no, normally like the, I would put out an album and I'm not famous enough that when an album comes out, the people that are coming to the shows are like, they, we just heard this on the album, you know? So uh, I put out the album and then over the course of two years, all those jokes drop one at a time until I'm doing a brand new hour. Uh, So it's just a little different because of the pandemic, because it's just like a big, huge chunk of brand new when normally it's, you know, three minutes of brand new at a time. Ah, yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we all know the famous comics, you know, that are famously just like when something is released drop it like a bad habit and start yeah. with a whole new fresh hour because there's some sort of savant writing geniuses or something yeah not, that's good advice i could give yeah it's good advice for uh younger comics don't i mean you don't have to do that you, you don't have to i've had some success and i don't have to do that i mean i could do old jokes and 95 percent of the audience is 
happy. They didn't. They don't feel like, oh man, that's the luxury of not being successful. Well, I, and I think that some some people they've they, like you said they don't they, you're not famous enough, so they don't even know the jokes. And the people that do know yeah. them are happy that you did those jokes because it's yeah, got the yeah. familiarity effect. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing for sure too. People love. It. I mean, the most, some of my favorite times doing Sampins is somebody yells out, "We please do." Blah, blah, blah joke. It makes you feel so good that somebody uh, remembered a joke and wanted to hear it again. Free bird. Yeah, yeah. as much as we, as much as comics, yeah, as much as we comics kind of like have a, maybe feel a little, I don't know, tough about that whole situation. I will say whenever like there's a comic coming to town and maybe I don't know them very well and I go to like the website to like catch some of their material and then when mm-hmm. I go see them that weekend and they do the job, I'm happy when I'm like, oh, that's the, I like that one. <laughs> and like, it's not a bad thing. I don't feel, I'm not like, I'm, I feel gypped by a joke, you know? Yeah, yeah. And the way I do comedy too, the jokes are kind of always growing. So if I tell a joke from an older CD, it's a new version of it. There's probably some lines that weren't in the original sure. version. Yeah, that's the way to do it for sure. Keep it fresh, keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, all my jokes are like that. They're funny one night and they're not funny. The next <laughs> what I mean, something you were talking to, I mean, everybody does comedy differently, but as far as like every word is perfect, that's like a Seinfeld thing. But I find that if I try to make every word perfect, I lose the performance and then I just mm. am saying jokes. So, I mean, I can't say don't do it, but I, I would say like, don't worry if you're not doing it. Yeah, that's true. There's such a, it's such a marriage of performance and writing. And sometimes what the way it comes, way it comes out naturally is kind of the better way sometimes rather than trying to like force yourself to nail every syllable. Uh, That's super important, but not all jokes, maybe. Yeah. You got to hit the main part of the joke. Right. But uh, you see people all the time. I see very funny people just saying the jokes and it's not as good as someone that's really performing the jokes. It's funnier uh, to the audience. I think if it sounds like you're saying it for the first time. Yeah. Do you have any tips on how, what, what helps you create that kind of performance every night? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you thinking in your head when you're trying to make, keep it, make it sound like it's that fresh? <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I don't know that I 100% do it successfully all the time, but I would, I would say flip your order. If it's starting to feel like you're just saying it, flip the order of your jokes, make sure you're trying new lines here and there. Get shit face first. (laughs) (laughs) Good strategies. I like all three of them. get drunk forget the order do it in a different order yeah yeah do the bit that you close with in the middle of your set and then make yourself follow it mm, yeah that those, kind of stuff yeah that's yeah those are that's always fun to talk about but i i rarely have the confidence to do it <laughs> <laughs> i'm like yeah, yeah that's a great yeah, idea i, I get, can do that <laughs> <laughs> well i think uh unless you have like some bit that's like so much better than your other jokes I, yeah. You should be able to flip the thing around. Yeah. I like to have a set that I feel like I could close on any joke. And you usually get to a point where you're like, this is the best joke. This is the joke that should close the show or the second best, depending on how you think you should put a set together. Um, but I think you could feel like your set's good if you can close on any of your jokes, you know? And unless you have like some dancing or singing, singing thing that you can't follow. Yeah. I think it's true. good to switch it up. What do you, what do you think what do you think creates a, a, that strong performance is it you know I mean I'm sure it's a it's a collection of many things you know like is it uh, your vocal variety is it act outs uh, is there is there some things that you would put on the list to say like if you're a comic these things should be in your tool bag these things should be a part of your set to make sure that your performance is not just you reading your joke notebook (laughs) into a microphone uh i don't know that i would ever say anything is what you absolutely have to do because there's then you watch stephen wright just stand there without moving at all and it's the funniest thing so there's no real rules i I just know uh i've seen funny people telling jokes and you're like they're telling jokes they're not performing the jokes so you 
I don't know, just try to have fun yourself and stay in the moment when you're saying it, which is a stupid generic piece of advice. But uh, if you find that uh, I have this bit that was killing and now it's not killing, it's probably because of the way you're saying it, not because it's not funny anymore. I know for, for my material that I have to be, if I'm smiling in the pictures, Drew always takes pictures at our shows. And if I'm smiling, I'm like, okay, I'm delivering it right. Uh, and that's just for me. Some people, if you're deadpan, it's different, right? Maybe your face yeah. is the grumpiest it could be or whatever that needs to be for you to enjoy those moments. But for me, if I'm smiling, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm doing it right there. That's that's the way I'm supposed to be doing my material. Yeah, yeah I and I'm a smiler. I'm a smiler. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. also a smiler. And I'm a laugher. Controversial, but I laugh at my own bits all the time. I don't do it on purpose. Some people ask why I do it on purpose. I think it's just because I'm having fun. And so it just ends up happening. And I don't know. Some it's, uh, you know, you get into the comments on some of my videos. Some people hate it and some people love it. I don't know how yeah. to do it different. I mean, that's one of the best things. One of the, honestly, I think one of the best things about comedy is the fact that there's no rules you you do whatever is successful for you if it works for you it works yeah. for you and it doesn't have to work for someone else um because yeah i i can't there's some moments i try to play super straight in my jokes uh, but of I'm course, yeah. I do. like i if i'm having a good time i'm not gonna tell my face to not look like it, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah i think don't laugh at your own jokes is a good rule but it I break it all the time, you know. It's fun. <laughs> Doing comedy is fun. Yeah. And it makes me laugh when I know I'm about to say something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so what about – oh, sorry. Good. Uh, I was going to – have you have you been able to do any showcase sets lately in L.A.? Is that, is that kind of opening back up for you? Yeah, things are opening up here. Uh, I'm getting up as much as I can. Uh, I don't, yeah, it's like slowly opening back up and – all the most famous comics want spots too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm getting up, but uh, this is a slow process. And also I'm new here. I lived here for uh, a year and a half now, but really I've only lived here for a couple months of the state being open. Yeah. So when I go out, there's a lot of, uh, you live here now? When did you move here? Yeah. <laughs> so the, the question, the question would be, um, so how do you prepare for, let's say, uh, a showcase set? Uh, and you can, if you'd like, you can even contrast that to how do you prepare for a longer set? Um, just kind of how do you put your sets together? Well, if I'm doing just like a showcase set, I guess there's two different things. If it's I'm going to a club and no one there has ever seen me before, then I'm bringing bits I know work and I want to walk off the stage with them being like, wow, that guy's great. We got to have him here regularly. But if it's a place that, you know, I'm already known at and there's no stakes of like, if I bomb, they might not have me back. Or, or if it's like at a restaurant that's having comedy, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I'm doing mostly new. I'm, I'm doing mostly new and saving the like solid stuff for the clubs. It's, you know, not necessarily open, open mic. I don't read stuff off of a card well maybe we'll have like just a bullet point set list but um i mean i I try to bring it if there's stakes and if not i try to build new material i mean i i say that but i'm also a pussy about i don't do it to the point where i'm okay bombing for 10 minutes i'll do an old joke to get them laughing and then try another new joke or try another yeah i said it right and then a longer set is just you longer set, uh, well, and now it's different because of the pandemic. So I am looking at notes and reading or listening to sets and watching sets a lot uh, in the last month. But when when it was like I was touring 45 weeks out of the year, then um, I didn't have to do a ton of preparation other than if for stuff I was working on. You just, you just know it, you know? Yeah, you... Um are you someone who sticks to that set list pretty religiously or is it kind of flexible as, as the show goes? Do you just kind of pivot uh, a lot? Uh, No, I don't stick to it religiously. Like I said, I think flipping the order is something you can do to keep the jokes fresh. So it's not sounding uh, like you're saying, Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I tend to have like chunks and then the chunks will stay together, but the chunks can move around. 
within the yeah. set. Absolutely. And it's topical chunks or? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. By topic, not necessarily like topical jokes. I've never really done right. that other than for, you know, trying to get jobs. I've written topical jokes from the news, but every everything that I'm writing is like stuff that happened to me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes it probably a lot. I find that the stuff that's more personal is never problematic to memorize because <laughs> you're really just kind of remembering, a, you know, a pretty much real thing that happened with some added spices and pizzazz to make it extra fun. Yeah, that's true. I think um, for sure. And anything you write yourself is easier to remember than just anything in general. And if, if you have like a thing that really clicks with you, you know, you had an emotional response to something yeah. then then it's even easier to remember. Yeah. Any last minute things you do before you get on stage? Any last minute rituals before you step on, <laughs> take the mic? No, <laughs> no, I don't have any. I, don't, I see, I see people doing them, but I don't have any. I have, I have none of that stuff. I don't even have like, some people are like, I can't eat. I will eat. I'll finish chewing as I'm walking through my <laughs> Well, when you were doing like 48 weeks, you, you're, you're pretty in season at that point. You don't need a lot of, of warm up because you just like, man, that's yeah, you, just, get, uh, yeah, you get used familiar. to it. And you know exactly what you're doing. But now, I mean, now I'm nervous before shows now. Well, it's fun. It's, it's a fun time to be a comedian right now. We were forced into a weird thing where we all kind of had to start over. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to queue up the clip. Does, uh, did, did you have any, uh, prep or anything different that you do for the late night spots? Is that, I mean, it's a whole different world. Anything that that's different there or just, no, well, the late night spots, there's no like fresh, like let me move a joke around to keep it fresh. It's like, everything's approved. Everything's been through lawyers. This is what they want you to tell on the show. And so you do do it basically word for word from a late night set. The only do, I mean, every time I've ever done one, well, I actually messed up on Conan, but when when you do it, you know the set so well. You don't you're barely even thinking about doing it. You're just like on this ride. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, cool. I'm gonna play the clip. This is from your okay. uh cordon set. Thank you. So nice of you. Uh yeah, I'm uh I'm a step parent. I'm a step parent. Took over the lease on a couple girls a few years back. <laughs> Smart financial decision. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. It's more responsibility than I thought it was going to be. I carry around this weight on my shoulders every day, knowing that I'm the third person on an emergency contact list. <laughs> this is terrifying to be positioned to be in. Number one, they could call you with a paper cut. But if they call me, that means there's been an emergency. And it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> They're panicked if they get to my name on the list. My girls are teenagers now. They're embracing all the teenage stereotypes. I would say laziness is probably the biggest one. They fully embrace it. I fully embrace it. And I'm proud of them. I'm, I'm proud of my girls. I'm proud of how lazy they are. Because people tell me all the time that you should want your kids to achieve things you weren't able to achieve. And, and I could have only dreamt of being that lazy when I was their age. We didn't have the technology available for the level of laziness that my kids are achieving. This is gonna make me sound crazy to any young people, but it took me 10 years to watch every episode of Friends. <laughs> My kids finished Friends and they're like, what else is on? Nine seasons of How I Met Your Mother? All right, I got time. We're having dinner together one night and one of my girls says, do we have any ranch dressing for the salad? And I said, yes, we do. It's in the refrigerator. And then she said, ugh. <laughs> and then ate her salad with no dressing. As, as if she had to take a trip to the Hidden Valley to get, to get her hands on salad dressing. We don't live in a mansion. We live in a home where our refrigerator's in the room we're eating in. Like she, she even have to get up. She just sat there and angrily choked down a dry salad because she was too lazy to swivel to the fridge. I respect that. We took them to a corn maze last fall. That's good family fun in the corn maze. 10 minutes in, my oldest daughter calls me on my cell phone. She goes, Annie, I'm lost. <laughs> yeah, well, you are in a maze right now. That's, 
That's the exact experience that we paid for this afternoon. <laughs> Did you think that we had brought you to a corn hallway? Is that what you thought this was? <laughs> If you're lost, that sounds like I'm getting my money's worth to me. <laughs> How did she even think that I was going to help her? I was also in that maze. <laughs> what are you near right now? Corn? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that part was tricky. Make a left. You're almost there. I believe in you. I knew I couldn't help her through the maze, so I just tried to motivate her. I said, okay, we're leaving in 10 minutes, no matter what. Good luck to you. <laughs> If you don't make it, you live here in the corn now. This is your new home. Give my regards to Malachi. He'll be raising you. <laughs> they disagree with everything that I say. That's another teenage stereotype. They disagree with everything. We had a half-hour debate on whether cold pizza was better than hot pizza. <laughs> Which is a stupid debate, because cold pizza wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for how good hot pizza is. <laughs> I saw my girls eating cold pizza, and I said, you want me to heat that up? And they go, no, we prefer cold pizza. No, you don't. You are too lazy to heat up pizza. Cold pizza's fine, but no one prefers it. No one's like, I'll take one large pepperoni for delivery and take your time getting over here. I would like the cheese to be hard by the time it shows up. Don't put it in the insulated red box. That's not for me. I want you to pack mine on dry ice on the way over. You know what? Forget the whole thing. I'm just going to get a frozen pizza and I'm going to lick it till it's soft enough for me to chew because I'm a teenager and I'm never wrong. <laughs> it's such a dumb debate to be involved in. I don't know why I participated in it for so long. I think I was just happy they wanted to talk to me. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been really cool. Oh, man. Very good. Uh, so, so I like, like the, those are good. I was gonna say how quickly you drop right into it, and you have to because of the situation, of course. But, yeah, you know, so fast. I'm a stepdad, and then that's what this set is going to be about. And then it really kind of, in my opinion, kind of two chunks, and they kind of inter, inter, intertwine. But you know, lazy, and um, and then the the second part is that they disagree, and then that was yeah. the, the whole thing. Yeah, that joke, that, uh, that set did have one ad lib line in there that I knew I was going to do going into it, but was not approved uh, when I said, uh, what's, what's next on Netflix, nine seasons of How I Met Your Mother? I did that only because Neil Patrick Harris was sitting on the couch while I was doing it. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice. And he, uh, he said hi afterwards and thanks for the shout out. So it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, just like not even content wise, just your voice is just feels like the right it's a fun i don't know it's just it's a it's a it's a nice space to be to do comedy in you know like <laughs> there's something about it that just says yes i expect this guy to be funny with with that voice and um, <laughs> i don't know there's like i don't know i'm not sure why that stood out to me but i was just like that's it's a fun energy you have an energy in your voice that that i think makes uh -huh. people want getting attention is so important in comedy and having an energy oh, yeah, sure. voice locks people in and it probably has helped you you know win some people over catch and, and get them to really like uh lock in you know for sure that's my advice to all comedians out there have a fun <laughs> voice <laughs> uh, your 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 point of view I, by the way i listened to your dry bar special too oh, uh you. and uh I, I really enjoyed it and it's just you have this point of view um maybe it's changed since then i guess but like you know as the the smart ass sarcastic husband smart ass sarcastic dad and it just it's just it, people are on board with that they understand that and then all of your jokes come from that perspective so they know they know where the they know why it's funny and i think that yeah. really helps having a truly defined character in your set <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm more okay with those jokes now than I was right after my divorce, right after it would have been hard for me to watch that set. Uh, but I'm still the same person and I still am uh, sarcastic. And, uh, in, you know, just it's a weird thing because it was so much of my stand-up. Yeah. And it still is a little bit. I mean, I'm, I have a great relationship with the kids. I still talk to them all the time. So I'm still like kind of a stepdad but not legally. I don't know. You, you know, who knows what the role is now, but I'm very close with my kids still. And, uh, but right after was like, uh, I gotta have a set that doesn't make me sad fast. <laughs> so my, my last album that came out, uh, 
it's called Live from Elkhart. I recorded in my hometown, Elkhart, Indiana. That was that was the fastest I ever wrote an hour of material because you. I mean, those were the jokes and every you know kind of when i tell jokes about a person in my life it's because i really love them and i feel that they get my sense of humor and they have a similar sense of humor and they would never be upset at any joke i would say on stage because it's the same as the jokes that we would say to each other uh but then after a divorce it's a different vibe for yeah. sure and i'm a, yeah so i moved on and it's been fun after shows. I mean, it used to be after shows, people would come up afterwards and be like, I'm a stepdad too. And she's a stepdad. That was just the same. And now, uh, you know, I'm getting similar things, but it's like, I'm uh, divorced or things like that. And I mean, divorce is nowhere near as big a part of my set now as being a stepdad was. It's just where my life is, you know? Yeah, I think I mean I and I had I'm I'm divorced and a lot some of my material references that and I did have that, you know, I posted something online one time with that had some of my marriage divorce material and I got a message. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got a message about it and I was like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a tough But it's, it's a, true. It's you got you have you do have to write about what you're going through and where you're at in life. And when that situation changes, mm-hmm. you have to pivot. I mean it's just there's a certain honesty about, there's a lot of lying in comedy, but there, I think there's always <laughs> in good comedy, at least a nugget of truth and honesty in there somewhere. Yeah. So you got to be true to where you're at. Yeah. And, um, mm, what else can we get into before we wrap here, Brian? Uh, well, we got, we got something loaded up and it is our last segment. <laughs> it, so we have a thing that we, we call last laugh, Andy, and here's how it works. Uh, let me play a quick graphic and I'll explain it to you. Keep saying, I'm going to change it, Drew. <laughs> we can't change it now. It's too late. We can't. So here's how it works. Uh, it is the last joke that you want to be remembered by. It's, it can be yours. It can be somebody that you, you respect. Uh, whatever it is that you want on your tombstone. What would that be for Andy Woodhull? We're not going to murder you either. I promise. That's <laughs> <laughs> how this is. Um, let me think. I think, uh, you know, the funniest tombstone that I know of is uh, at the end of Royal Tenenbaums. Do you remember the end of Royal? I just want to steal that one. I don't <laughs> Well, it's, he's like, it's a part in the movie where he's like, I read, I've written my own epitaph. I want you to make sure my own epitaph. And I'm missing it word for word. But on his uh, tombstone at the end, it says, he died heroically saving a group of children from a burning building. Oh, yeah. I would like, I would like something like that. I, w- <laughs> I would like, no, no, known for bringing joy to millions and saving the life of hundreds of millions in an act of <laughs> heroics as he left the earth. Something like that. People will just be looking at me like, what did this guy do? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm going to Wikipedia him to see what happened. <laughs> well, well, Andy, uh, it's been a real pleasure uh, talking with you on the show today. Uh, and, and we wish you all the success in your new your new city. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, still, it's still fresh. And uh, it, you're, you're a very funny guy. And we're excited to uh, to watch you grow. And hopefully we'll have you back here. Yeah. We'll have you down here in Houston sometime soon. So, That'd be great. And, Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been Breaking Down Bits. listening to breaking down bits you can keep in touch or get more when you follow at breaking down bits on social media visit the website breakingdownbits.com or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits@gmail.com. at gmail.com